Real quick, does anybody like art? Is anybody an art person? Like an art critic? There's like, I mean, I would guess probably not. Art critics are pretty few and far between. Uh, But I would say I appreciate art. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm going to seek um, an art gallery and go out and look at pieces of art because I just, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I have no idea what's good and what's not good. My two-year-old daughter can paint something and I'm going to think it's literally the greatest thing on the planet. And then some guy is going to paint the same thing basically and sell it for $10,000. And I'm going to, what is that about? No, but uh, if you enjoy art, like have you ever been to an art studio and not even known what was going on? What am I looking at? That's uh, some pieces of paper crumpled together and it looks like somebody sneezed on it. (laughs) And you're trying to sell that to me? No, 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 but if, to an art critic, that's, that's literally the greatest thing on, on the planet. You know, the Mona Lisa, everybody knows what the Mona Lisa is? Okay, yeah, me either. Um, but the Mona Lisa, to me, is just some lady just, but obviously it's the most, one of the most famous paintings in the world to an art Art critic, that's literally the greatest in the world. Art is tricky. You know, one, may, one person may look at something and think it's incredible. One, may, one person may think, may look at it and think it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. But proximity, proximity creates passion. Proximity creates passion. And what does that mean? What is, what is passion? Something that you're passionate for. Proximity means if, if, how close you are. Your proximity creates passion. But distance creates distortion. And what I mean by that is if I'm far away from something, I can't, I got to strain my eyes and I can't really, I can't really see it. It's kind of distorted, if you will. Uh, but then again, if I'm way too close to it and I'm looking at a piece of art like this, I have no idea what I'm looking at because it's just a blob of color or pixelated, if you will. Like if you're on a computer screen and you try to stretch the, stretch the image, and it's, I have no idea what that is. I was going to do some pictures, but uh, I didn't want to be that guy. But anything that you're not close to is going to be difficult to understand. But being close, being close to something is easier for you to love. When you're close to something, when you're close to someone, it's easier for you to love. Like, you guys love your kids. I don't know your kids. I mean, I love them as, as brothers and sisters of Christ. But if they kick me in the shin, I'm not going to love them that much. You are, but I'm not. That's because you're close to someone. You're close to that. You're close to someone. And I believe we as the church need to be close to Jesus. Amen? So what does that look like? We've got to have the right perspective. What does is, what is perspective, perspective mean? You know, a, a, like I said, a painting looks completely different under a microscope than when you're looking at it. Just right, right here and there when I'm looking at these exit signs. Like, I can tell those are exit signs. But if I put that under a microscope, I would just see red if I didn't know what it was. You know, sometimes we misunderstand God's faithfulness, God's perspective, because we're not seeing the whole picture. We're not seeing the whole picture. We can... This is a pretty slippery slope, a pretty dangerous place to be when you're, when you're saying things like, why would God take that person from me? Why would God let me get fired from my job? Why would God let my grandma die? Why would, why would God let my baby niece die? 
Why? That's a dangerous place to be because we don't have the right perspective. We as humans don't have the right perspective. And when I'm talking about perspective this morning, but I want to kind of share a little bit of, little bit of backstory, a little bit about me. Um, I did not necessarily grow up in church. My, my parents, we, did, we went to church every once in a while. I went to, I'm pretty sure my parents shipped me off to church camp every summer because they wanted me out of the house. But man, we, we, didn't, really go to, we didn't really go to church, and, and I didn't really believe in God. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus at all. And I don't, and I don't even think my parents did. But, and let me, let me just say this. I was not a great teenager. I'll just say that. At age 13 until about 18, I was pretty crazy. I mean, I would try to do anything to push my parents' buttons. I had ADHD, and I, like, went through tons and tons of different medicines or, or whatever. And, um, and, and, and it, was, it was, yeah, my parents, yeah, uh. But um, with that being said, when I was around 17, 18 years old, actually, I, was, I just graduated high school, um, I had really kind of bucked up to my parents. And I'd said, no, this is my way. I'm going to live my life my way. And they said, okay, well, you're just going to go live somewhere else. And so they kicked me out of their house, which they had every right to do so. But at the time, I didn't have the right perspective. I was so, so angry. In fact, I lived in my car for three weeks because I was so angry. I would just, I would hang out with my friends. I'd work. I worked at a snow cone stand. At that time, I'd work, and then I'd go to sleep in my car. I'd fall asleep in my car, and I was just so bitter. I was so angry at my parents. How dare they do something like this? How dare they do something like this? And I had no revelation of who Jesus was. I had, I had the absolute wrong perspective. Well, along the way, I met this guy, and I had been playing music my whole life, and I had known that I wanted to... to to, to be a rock star. I wanted to tour the world and, and, and be a rock star and play in front of thousands. And my buddy wanted to, they had a band and they wanted me to join. Uh, and then they wanted me to move into a house with them. Uh, they lived with a few different people. And I said, okay, yeah, let's, let's do it. And we started touring and, and, and playing shows all over the country. And, and I thought I was living the dream, but I, I was so empty. I was so empty inside. And, and this person that we lived with, uh, his name was Tim, and uh, every, every night we would have a Bible study, and those specific nights gave me life. Like, I didn't know how I would get through the next day without that Bible study because it was so incredibly life-giving, and I hadn't even really given my life to Jesus yet. I just was receiving this, and just receiving this, which, which let me sidebar real quick. If there's people in your life right now that don't believe in Jesus, don't you dare give up on them. Don't you dare give up on them. You have no idea what your words of encouragement, you have no idea what your words of love could be doing for them. Without that person in my life, I would not be here today. I would not be here today. And I, at that point, I hadn't even believed in Jesus yet. I was inching my way closer and closer and closer. But um, fast forward, I hadn't spoken to my parents in three months. I told them that I hated them and I never wanted to see them again. I hadn't spoken to them in three months and I was being poured into and I was being mentored by this guy named Tim. And I knew Tim worked at a church, but there was no way I was going to church. I was good with my, my, my every night Bible study. Well, Tim was a leader at a church and 
at that exact time, and I had no idea because I wasn't speaking to my parents, my parents started attending a church. And wouldn't it, wouldn't it be God if, if, if I told you that they reached out to someone for prayer, for, 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 for guidance for them because they had just kicked out their son and they were heartbroken for him. They were heartbroken. And so they reached out to this, this person and th- this person started mentoring my parents and started leading my parents. And my parents had never given, given this guy my name because th- out of respect for me. And I had never told this guy my name either. But <laughs> it wouldn't be God if I told you that that same person that was pouring into my parents every single night was pouring into me. And one specific day, Tim, and God bless him, man, I, I love him to death. I mean, I'm telling you, I would not be here today if it weren't for Jesus through Tim. But that speci- one specific day, uh, Tim was, was, was praying with my parents, and he said, I just feel like I, I, need to, I need to know who this person is. And my parents told him, well, his name's Aaron Burns. And t- Tim stopped in his tracks. Are you kidding me? That dude's been sleeping on my couch for three months. <laughs> and, of course, my parents are broken, and then Tim just starts to tell my parents about the steps that I, was, that I had been taking over the past few months, and how Jesus was changing me from the inside out. And just from that moment, when Tim came to me and told me, I thought to myself, wow, like this, this whole thing is real, this God thing, this Jesus thing is real. And I was still bitter, I was still upset, how many of you know just because you, you, you accept Jesus into your heart doesn't mean you're perfect? You still get angry sometimes. You still get bitter. You still hold grudges sometimes. But I had a perspective change right then. It's like the Holy Spirit came into whatever room I was in and changed my heart towards my parents. And, and then that, that afternoon, it was, I remember it was an afternoon, it was during the week, and my parents were both at work. I knew that they were at work, but I knew, I was close by. I was just a few minutes away from their house, and, and I knew that they wouldn't be at their house, but I wanted to go to their house. I wanted to remember what it felt like to be home. Because no matter, no matter the place you go, any place you go, if you're on the road, whatever, there's no place like home. I'm, I can't click my heels, but... There's no place like home. And I pulled in the driveway, and I just remember gripping the steering wheel and yearning for this, yearning for this. And I kid you not, my parents pull up right beside me, and they look at, what, what are you doing home? What, like, and then that catapulted us into a new season of faithfulness. My parents haven't stopped serving the church since. That's something we can celebrate. That moment changed me from the inside. I gave, I gave my life to Christ and I said, I'm never turning back, Lord. I'm never turning back because he gave me the right perspective. Perspective is what gets you to the next season faithfully. Without perspective, it's easy to lose humility. It's easy to lose drive. And it's easy to lose faith. I had the wrong perspective, and there may be someone here that has the wrong perspective. I'm not going to, don't poke your neighbor and say, you do, mm-hmm, yeah. No, 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 don't, don't do that. 
But how do we get the right perspective? And I'm going to tell you about a story in the Bible, uh, and it's kind of a funny story, but stay with me. But um, we're going to go to Numbers 22, 21 through 34. Uh, and it's a story about Balaam and his donkey. And this is probably not a normal story in the Bible. You, you don't hear about it a lot because it's kind of, a, kind of a funny little thing. But it says, Numbers 22, says, So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. Let me give you some backstory. Uh, Balaam was, was this dude, and he was, had a donkey. I mean, he had the donkey for his whole life, and he's hanging out with these Moabite officials. And he's, one, he's, he's got plans to head to this city. Uh, and in the background, this city is not the, it's treacherous. God doesn't want him to go to this city. And it says, but God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. How many of you know, you see an angel on the road, you go, okay, all right, the other way. Balaam's donkey saw the angel. Okay, so as Balaam and, and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. That's just even more scary. The angel of the Lord's one thing, but the dude's got a sword. And I'm sure it's on fire, because that's what Lord of the Rings tells me. No, but... Just kidding. That's not theology. But angel of the Lord is standing in the road with a stinking sword. <laughs> the donkey bolted off the road into a field. But Balaam didn't see. The, but like Balaam didn't see the angel of the Lord because he was just, just focusing on him, just doing my own thing. But Balaam beat the donkey for bolting off the road and turned it back onto the road. He was like, come on, you donkey. I'd say some, never um, When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, okay, so then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord again, it, tries to, it tried to squeeze by and ended up crushing Balaam's foot against the wall. First off, I like, that, that kind of hurt when I thought of that. Because I don't know if you've ever had your foot crushed. Okay, nobody. Cool, that's sweet. Um, but then the, okay, so let me pick up. So Balaam ended up beating the donkey again. He just crushed his foot. He beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time when the donkey saw the angel, it seriously laid down, just walking and just plopped down, took a, took a siesta, and in a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal with his staff. Beat the animal with his staff. Like, I'm not a donkey guy, but that's kind of mean. Like, I'm not a, I don't have donkeys. Anybody have donkeys? Okay, cool. Um, then the Lord, this is, this is when it gets crazy. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. What? This is some Dr. Doolittle stuff here, guys. The donkey started talking. Can you imagine just riding your donkey, whatever, and it lays down, and then you go, Ugh. donkey turns to you, he's like, bruh. <laughs> what? <laughs> the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. It said, what have I done to you that deserves you beating me three times? It asked Balaam. Balaam was like, you made me look like a fool. Why am I talking to a donkey? 
If I had a sword with me, I would kill you, donkey. But I am the same donkey you have ridden your whole life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, but you've never talked before either, <laughs> Balaam admitted. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. Right then, Balaam got the right perspective. Right then, it's like God just downloaded the right thing right in his mind. Right then. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times? The angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. That's saying something. Spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you are against my going. Man, that's so good. That speaks to me. I hope it speaks to you. Man, if we get the right perspective, things change. We, I mean, I just finished Stranger Things season three, and it's just like the upside down. Okay, whatever. But listen, God is not in a hurry. You are. God is not in a hurry. You are. It's why you're tired. It's why you're anxious. It's why you're stressed. It's why you're disappointed. Trust that was what was meant to be yours will be yours in Jesus' name. What was meant to be yours is going to be yours. Quit trying to rush things. Quit trying to rush things. Rush, rust. Rust things too. Quit trying to rush, rush. Oh, here we go. Rush things. So how do we get the right perspective? Number one, point number one says slow down. Slow down. Slow down. We live in such a fast-paced world that we have to take time to slow things down and pray because prayer changes things. Amen? Prayer changes things. I love that. Prayer changes things. And then worship. I mean, I talked about it in the beginning. Worship. Not just on Sunday, but worship. There's something that, that, that you can do. If anybody has Spotify, and if you don't have Spotify, it's 2019. Come on, guys. No, download Spotify, and there's, there's a South Point worship playlist on Spotify that you can follow, and you can listen to what our church is worshiping to during the week. I think it's so important because worship changes things. You know, I heard a story once from, from a leader that, that he had just gotten incredibly, incredibly terrible news, and he was supposed to preach uh, a, a sermon a few hours later. And he walked into that church, and he was so broken, and, 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 and he just didn't want to preach. He didn't want to preach. And he walked into the back of the room and saw his church worshiping and giving their everything. And it lifted his faith. You have no idea whose faith you're lifting by worshiping God. You have no idea. You have no idea whose Hail Mary this is. And I don't mean like Hail Mary. I mean like you're on the 20-yard line with three seconds to go, and I'm just going to chunk it and hope for the best. There's people in this room right now that this is their Hail Mary. This is their last play of the game. This is their last chance that they're giving God. You have no idea what your worship is breaking off of them right now. Another thing, cancel something that gives you anxiety and replace it with worship and prayer. That thing that you have that gives you anxiety, get rid of it. You don't need it. Replace it. 
Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Give it to God. Give it to God. Point number two says, pick your head up. Pick your head up. We cultivate a culture to not pay attention to anyone else. That I'm not, you know what, they're, 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 not, they're not in my lane. I'm going to stay in my lane, and I'm just going to keep my head down like Balaam, and I'm just going to hang out with my donkey. Well, there's, there's going to be a time when that donkey lays down in the middle of the road, and you can't keep going. Maybe do, maybe do the opposite. Reach out to that person that God puts, you, puts on your heart. And I know that God puts people on your heart, because he does it for me too. Reach out to that person that God puts on your heart. Matthew 25, 40 says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Don't just wallow in your shame and pick your head up. God is still on the throne. Your situation doesn't dictate your hunger to seek the Lord. Your situation doesn't dictate your hunger to seek the Lord. Reach out to others for help. Love God, love people. There's a reason we have that plastered outside in the, in the lobby. Love God, love people. Everything falls into place after that. And point number three, the last point is don't quit. Don't quit. Someone say don't quit. Don't quit. You know, I, I heard it said once, if you don't quit, you win. What does that mean? If you don't quit, you win. That means I might have both my knees broken. I might be bloodied, battered, and beaten down by the enemy. But if I don't quit, I win. Because let me tell you this. I read the back of the Bible. God wins in the end. And if God wins, that means his people win. And that's something that we can get fired up for. That's something we can get fired up for. If you don't quit you win. If you don't quit, you win. You're closer today to that miracle that you've been on your knees for today than you ever will be. You're closer today than you ever will be. Jeremiah 32, 27 says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? That's like, that's like a cool flex, bro. Like, is anything too hard for me, God says? No. He's moved mountains. Is, it, is your issue too hard for God? No. Don't quit. Don't quit. You know, the last thing is, 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 is I'm getting ready to end this, is I'm going to tell you, I'm going to read this, this passage, this prayer uh, that this missionary wrote, and this is, it might even be 100 years old. Um, and this missionary uh, felt the, felt the pull of the Holy Spirit to go to Africa. And this is, this is Africa. I mean, this is not even like we know it today. I mean, this is dangerous, treacherous, um, the, the worst of the worst uh, in, in, in Africa. And he was, he was called to go there. And so he's, he's there behind enemy lines preaching the gospel. People are getting saved. People are getting changed from the inside out. And he's feeling the weight of the government and, 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 the, and the enemy kind of on his back. And he's, he's, he's starting to, to feel a little bit of fear. His perspective is starting to sway. And he ends up, he actually ends up getting killed in Africa. He's killed for preaching the gospel. 
days later, they, 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 they find his, his stuff, his, his gear that, that he had with them, and, and they find this journal. And uh, in that journal, he had written this prayer. He had written this prayer. And if this doesn't build your faith, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I'll just leave real quick. But if this prayer doesn't build your faith, I don't know what will. But I'm going to read this. It says, I am committed. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. And the die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense, and my future is secure. <laughs> I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, or first, or tops, or recognized, or praised, or rewarded. I live by faith. I lean on His presence, and I walk by patience. I lift by prayer and labor by the Holy Spirit's power because my face is set. My gate is fast and my goal is heaven. My road may be narrow. My way may be rough. My companions few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. Come on, people. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up. I won't shut up. I won't let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up the cause of Jesus Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me because my colors will be clear.